Good morning, everyone, wherever you are in the world. Calvary Chapel Church, all of our friends around the world, Ken and Adrian in Saudi Arabia, Alex and Issa in Brazil, and everybody else in between. Somebody told me that there are 64 places uh, around the world that are tuning into our online service, which uh, is just fantastic. And we welcome you this morning. We're so glad you're with us because this is Easter Sunday. And I would be amiss if I didn't say to you all, he is risen. And I can hear everybody saying in their homes right now, he is risen indeed. And so greetings to you on this Resurrection Sunday. Vince Lombardi, the Green, back, uh, Green Bay backer coach, one of the greatest NFL coaches that ever lived, every time that he opened a football camp with his players, he would take a football and he would hold it in front of his players and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. Well, I like to open up our Bibles and say to the church, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible. It is the word of God. And everything in this Bible is true. And everything in this Bible is for us, though not everything in this Bible is about us. But everything in the word of God is for us. This is the playbook. This is what we look to for guidance, for direction, for commands, for promises, for peace, for purpose. It's in the word of God. And so this morning, we are going to talk about Easter and the resurrection. All four Gospels talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 5 to 7. It says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, whom was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. There he said, do not be ashamed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. Luke chapter 24. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. There we see that Mary Magdalene, then Peter and John, they all go to Jesus' tomb, only to find it empty. And then in verse 19, it says, On that same day, beginning at evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then a few verses down, 
John tells us why the resurrection is recorded for us in the pages of the Gospels. It says that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Friends, this is not Easter Bunny Sunday. This is that get up morning Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. And if you believe that, you can say amen wherever you are. Jesus is the one and the only who died and has been risen from the grave. Now, just think about every other religious leader and every other world religion for a moment today. At this very hour, the ashes of Buddha lie in a grave at the foot of the Himalayan mountains. Mohammed, the founder of Islam, is buried in Medina in Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is buried in Illinois. And that's probably the only thing the Mormons can actually archaeologically verify and find, according to their writings, is the grave of Joseph Smith. Charles Darwin is buried in the Westminster Abbey in London. They are all dead, and their graves are occupied today. But the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church these words in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, and after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me also." Paul gives eyewitness accounts of those who saw the resurrected Jesus. He said Peter saw him, the 12 apostles saw him, 500 eyewitnesses saw him, James saw him, and lastly, Paul himself had a vision of the resurrected Jesus. Because what they did after they became convinced of the resurrection of the Lord is that they went everywhere preaching the resurrection to the point that they laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. These men were fearful and afraid until they saw the dramatic transformation and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And within a few weeks of Jesus' crucifixion, these same men were standing face to face with the people who had crucified our Lord, boldly telling them to repent and to tell them that Jesus was alive. And to prevent this belief from spreading, the leaders, the same authorities that crucified Jesus, they threatened the disciples, they flogged them, they beat them, they imprisoned them, and they forbade them to speak in the name of Jesus. And what did the disciples do? They told the authorities, we must obey God rather than men. And they went about continuing to preach the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their courage had a cost, a large cost. 
but they were willing, they were willing to pay the price. Many outside sources beside the scriptures record for us what these early disciples said. For instance, Flavius Josephus, Eusebius, Tertullian, and other independent extra-biblical sources record for us that many of Jesus' earliest followers, including the apostles, suffered intense persecution and even death for their ongoing belief and preaching that Jesus indeed was the Lord and was risen from the dead. We are told by extra-biblical sources that Matthew was slain with a sword in the city of Ethiopia, in, the, in a city of Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria in northern Egypt, having been cruelly dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hung upon an olive tree in the land of Greece, John was tortured and banished to the island of Patmos. James, the brother of John, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less, as he's called in Mark 15, 40, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple to his death below. Philip was hung against a pillar in Hierapolis in the province of Phygeria. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross and left to die. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas, first was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas, Paul's partner in the gospel, was stoned to death by the Jews in Selenicia. Paul, after a variety of tortures and imprisonments, was finally beheaded in Rome. Thomas was run through the body with a spear in East India. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. And why? Why did these men endure to get the gospel out? Because they believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and more than that, they had seen them, seen them with their own eyes. Do you think that these people, these men, invented the resurrection of Jesus? I would find that hard to believe. Some people say, well, people invent crazy stories all the time. Well, a lot of people do, but usually it's for financial gain or to get out of some type of trouble. But these early Christians had nothing to profit at all. There was no financial gain. There were no perks. There was nothing about the resurrection that would personally benefit these men. What these men did cost them their very lives. And they were rejected. They were persecuted. They were tortured and finally martyrdom. Hardly a list of perks. Now critics have had to wrestle with the resurrection because it is indisputable evidence that Jesus is the unique son of God. Some critics say of the Bible the reason why his tomb was empty is because he never really existed. The whole story about him is not real. It was made up by people with some type of uh, clever deceivers that backed them in the first century. The idea that Jesus never existed is absolutely ludicrous. And that is because in addition to the 27 New Testament documents that tell us about him, there's a wealth of extra biblical sources that mention him. Jesus is referred to more than 30 sources outside of the Bible within 150 years of his life. And these sources reveal to us more than 100 facts about Jesus' life, 
teachings, death, and resurrection. And some of these sources include first century historians like Flavius Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, and the Jewish Talmud. And the Talmud is a compilation of Jewish teachings that were passed down from generation to generation and then organized and compiled after the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70. Only Jesus Christ proved uh, that what he said was true by rising from the dead. And this, for us, is the reason that we rejoice and celebrate Easter. Your Savior is not dead. The one that you follow is indeed alive. You are not following the teaching of a dead man. No, you are walking through this life with Jesus, the true and living God, who can be known, who can be called upon, and can be trusted daily. He is still in the soul-saving, life-changing, peace-filling, purpose-giving business today. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, many atheists throughout the years have tried to discredit uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible only to find out that after they have tried to discredit Jesus, they have in fact become believers in Jesus Christ. I love the story of Alfred Jules Iyer. I found his story in the weekend review of the Vancouver Sun. It was written on April 3rd, 2010 by Douglas Todd. And here's how the story goes, and I quote Douglas Todd. The story of the death of the 20th century philosopher Alfred Jules Iyer, also known as AJ, is becoming legendary. When the renowned atheist choked on a piece of salmon in 1988 in a British hospital, he went into cardiac arrest and technically died for four minutes. As a leader of the dominant analytical school of philosophy, Iyer had been accused of neutralizing Western academic philosophers and encouraging them to focus on pure logic and avoid applying their big minds to the actual art of living and dying. But Iyer's near-death experience changed all that. After he was res res resuscitated in hospital, Iyer wrote a piece in the Telegraph newspaper describing wondrous images that he had while dead of a beckoning red light and the collapse of space and time. The atheist philosopher known as Freddy to his friends also quietly suggested his near-death experience provided rather strong evidence that death does not put an end to consciousness. Just as importantly, Iyer's wife, Dee, told anyone who would listen, including journalists, that her husband had become much more pleasant company after his near-death experience. As Dee quaintly would put it, Freddy has gotten so much nicer since he died. At the heart of the resurrection is the question that everybody asks and will inevitably experience, what is life and death all about? Todd goes on to quote great minds that have wrestled with this subject. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, he did not presume to know what happens to human, humans after death. 
he was satisfied with being an agnostic. But he said, life and death, either it is annihilation and the dead have no consciousness of anything, or as we are told, it is really a change, a migration of the soul from this place to another. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers, is another contemporary figure who has come to believe that death is life's greatest teacher. Death is very likely the single best invention of life. It, it is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the, the new, uh, Jobs told Sanford graduates after a tumor had been described, uh, discovered, I should say, on his pancreas. No one wants to die, Job said. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. Everybody says, I want to go to heaven, and then they put in the disclaimer, but not now. And yet, death is the destination we all share. Your time is limited, so don't waste it, uh, don't waste it living someone else, else's life. One of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century was the skeptic C.S. Lewis, professor at Oxford University. For years, C.S. Lewis was an agnostic who denied the deity of Christ. And after a long process of searching for answers, C.S. Lewis came to faith in Christ and accepted him as his savior and his Lord. He later went on to write many outstanding books advocating for a reasonable both faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of his great books is called Mere Christianity. And in that book, Lewis states the truth about Christ and Christianity with his usual brilliance when he says about faith in Jesus Christ and who Jesus was, he says these words, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a demon, you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He hasn't left that alternative open to us. Jesus said outrageous things. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes on me, though he may die, yet he will live. And then he adds at the end, do you believe this? Well, that is the question for all times. That is the Easter message. Jesus is either the resurrection and the life, and he who believes on him shall never die, but has passed from death to life, eternal life, and either he is telling us the truth or he is the greatest liar that ever lived. There's no middle ground. And that's why Jesus and his resurrection and ascension is so much more than a religious weekend, which we give some type of emotional assent to once a year. Now, here is the simple reason why we celebrate Easter as believers. Because the Bible tells us that man is sinful. 
and that sin has created a great gulf between God and mankind, which cannot be bridged no matter how good we are. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death or eternal separation from God. Now, what do we mean by sin? A lot of people think sin is just simply, is simply something that you do, like lying or stealing or being immoral. But sin is so much deeper than that. Sin is an attitude. It is going one's independent way indifferent to God. It's a lack of relationship or fellowship with him. The Bible clearly defines sin as falling short of God's standard, which is his own perfect righteousness. Sin often manifests itself as self-centeredness, an attitude of active rebellion, or sometimes passive indifference to God. I like to picture your will and my will as a throne that sits upon our heart. And either you or God is upon that throne. If you say, I am the master of my life and I will do as I please, you qualify as a sinner. If Christ is on that throne and you've accepted Christ's payment for your sin, then he has brought you into a relationship with him. And the Bible teaches that the only way to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, God's provision for man's problem. You see, the Bible says that God sent his only son who was without sin, without spot or blemish, to give his life, to shed his blood upon a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. The scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have, ask, have everlasting life. God has bridged the gulf between sinful man and himself through his son Jesus Christ. He has promised us that we can know him and have fellowship with him now and for all eternity through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the most precious truth in all of the word of God. Indeed, no religion in the world provides for the forgiveness of sin. Every religion in the world tells man to work for it, to reach up, to make himself better. But Christianity says that God reached down to man and made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. And apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, all men would be forever engulfed by sin and separated from God for all eternity. What most religions teach is that if a, if a person's good works outweighs his bad works, he will go to heaven. But if his bad works outweigh his good works, he will go to hell. Of course, you never know which way you're going until life is over. Have I done enough good or have I done too much bad? What a tragedy to live in such a way where you would be left to the very end of your life to only find out that which you have believed and staked your life upon was in fact a lie. 
Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that salvation is a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest men who ever lived, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said according to the law, he was faultless. He was a Jew of Jews. He basically uh, kept the law to the letter. Yet when he became a believer in the Lord Jesus, he wrote these verses to the Ephesians. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done, so none of us can boast about it. No one, the Bible says, is or can be good enough to make it to heaven on your own. And if you think you can, or if you're trying your best to be, then you can start by, first of all, confessing your first sin, which is pride. Because if you think that you are good enough to go to heaven on your own merit, then the first sin that you could confess is your foolish pride. Aren't you glad that God reached down instead of us having to uh, strain upwards? Aren't you happy that salvation is so simple, that it's a gift that has been given to us to receive? Here's the bottom line about Easter today, folks. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. This is what Paul says. Now, if Christ is preached and that he has been risen from the dead, how do some of, among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there, is no if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. pitiable. The resurrection guarantees that our sins are forgiven. If you've been following me on Facebook, and yes, I know it's a miracle, Dale is on Facebook, but if you have been following, I've been posting things about the cross this last week, and one of the things that I've been posting is what Jesus did for us on that cross. And one of the things that he's been doing, that he did for us, I should say, is found in Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. And I want to read it from the Living Translation. There Paul says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, uh, and because your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Not some, but all. He canceled the record of the charge against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
In this way, he has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross. In Roman days, when you were brought before the court and you were tried and found guilty, you were taken away to prison. And there, prisoners awaiting execution had all of the charges that they had been convicted of nailed to their cell door. Their list of offenses, their verdict of guilt, their sentence of death, everything that they were convicted of, everything that they had, been, had done, everything that they had been found guilty of was nailed to their door so that when the soldiers came to execute their sentence, there was no pity, there was no wondering, there was an absolute finality to justice being served. Here was the prisoner. Here was their list of offenses. They were found guilty, and it was nailed to the door of their cell. Paul uses this Roman imagery to tell us the good news about our sin. You see, every sin that we have committed in our thoughts and in deeds, because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, has been nailed to our prison doors. Every thought that is sinful, every act that is sinful, has been nailed to the door of our cell. But then came Jesus, and he took everything that was uh, nailed to the door of our cell, and he canceled the record of charges against us, and he took them all away. How? By nailing it to the cross, paid in full, not guilty by the shed blood of Jesus, which ran down the cross on the day of his crucifixion. And because of that shed blood, every charge that has been leveled against us, because Satan is what? He's the accuser. He's the condemner. He's the one that reminds us of everything that we've said and done. And the fact of the matter is, if we're being truthful with ourselves, we would say, guilty as charged. But Jesus, our advocate, the one that came, took every charge against it and nailed it to the cross, and now we are declared not guilty. And if you believe that, say amen. You see, Jesus Christ proved that what he said was true by rising from the dead. And this is the great reason today why we rejoice. Because not only did Jesus take our sins and nail them to the cross, but he proved that he had the power to forgive those sins by rising again. You see, your Savior, the one you follow, is alive today. You're not following the teachings of some dead man. No, you're walking in the footsteps with your Savior who is alive today. The true and the living God who can be known, called upon, and trusted. And so I urge you to do that today. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then I would say do that now. For a day of judgment is coming. That everything that you've thought and everything that you've done that has been nailed to the front door of your cell is only going to have two outcomes. Either it's going to be nailed to the cross of Jesus and forgiven, or else it's going to be accounted for one day 
because you have not received Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And the way you do it is not just knowing about Jesus or knowing about Easter. It's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that today. God is simply a prayer away. You could pray something like this. God, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Christ Jesus to save me. Come into my life and be my Lord and to be my Savior. And the same Bible that tells us that if we would put our faith in Christ is the same Bible that says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'd like to end with just a simple um, um, encouragement for you this morning. You know, many people can be all around the message of Easter and never touch it. Many people can be all around Christmas season and never really understand it. You see, the message of Easter is not just about being around it or giving mental assent to it. The message of the resurrection is that you must appropriate it for yourself. Do you know that Jesus, when you read through the Bible, always touched people exactly where they lived? Do you remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus had a conversation with her, and he said to her, woman, go and call your husband. And she said, Lord, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have spoken the truth. Nor were the five guys that you had before that your husband and the guy that you're living with now. And what was Jesus saying to her? He, she, he was saying, lady, you are at a dry well. You are looking at relationships and you are looking at men to fulfill to fill that great void and emptiness in your heart. Don't you know that that's a dry well? Don't you know that that is never going to satisfy what you're looking for? That, you see, that's where Jesus touched her because that's where she was living. How about the rich young ruler that came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, keep the commandments. Oh, I've kept them all. And Jesus said, yeah, but there's one that you lack. And that is that you shall have no other idol before me, but you shall love the Lord. And he said, so therefore, go and sell all that you have and give everything away and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because that is where he lived. You see, Jesus touches us right where we live. Why did the Pharisees and the Sadducees have such a hard time with the Lord? Because he kept confronting them where they lived and how they defined themselves. They defined themselves in self-righteousness. They trusted in their religion. They were all about the law and the Torah, the temple, the sacrifices. And Jesus kept telling them, for all of that stuff that you say you believe, for all of that stuff that you do, you are far from God and you need to repent. And it didn't make them very happy. Well, what about you today? What defines you? That's what real faith is all about. It's not about being around Easter and saying happy Easter. It's about the reality of the resurrection. It's about Jesus who died and rose again. It's not about just mental assent and saying, oh, that's lovely once a year. It's about coming to grips with Jesus, the Christ, 
who died and rose again. Do you consider yourself a good person and that's what you're trusting in today? Much like the Sadducees and the Pharisees of Jesus' day? Jesus would say to you as he would say to them, repent, turn, and believe the good news that Christ has died for you. I am convinced today that the church is filled with people who believe but are not converted. People who will give mental assent to everything that I'm saying today, but will not yield their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and believe on him as their Lord and their Savior. What about you today, friend? Do you in your mind say, oh, I believe in Easter? I believe in Jesus, but you have never actually repented and bowed your will and bowed your knee and given your heart. This is what Easter is all about. Easter is about a resurrected Savior who died not to make good people better, not to accessorize good people, but to save sinners who are lost. Well, I'd like to say that when I was 17 years old, I went into the house of a little Ukrainian lady. Her name was Mrs. Ochitwa. And there she began to talk to me about her Savior. Now, I had been raised in church all of my life. I knew about Jesus. I knew about Easter. I knew about Christmas. I knew about God. But this little old lady talked about like she actually knew God. She talked about like God could actually be something else than just a religious thing that you put on your wall or something that you did on Sunday between 11 and 12. And all of a sudden, faith became real to me. And I remember at the age of 17 of yielding my heart and my life to Jesus Christ and knowing for the first time that God was more than just a thought or just a concept, but that he was a real God and that he came into my life and he took away my sin and he made me a new creation in him. And I can say with that old song, oh, happy day, oh, happy, happy day when Jesus walked and took my sins away. Do you remember that day in your life? Do you remember that day when Jesus became more than just a concept, a theological construct, some type of religious symbol on the wall, but that you re actually repented and you yielded your heart and your life? I hope today that as you're watching online, that Jesus is more than just something that you give assent to on Easter weekend, but that he is in fact the savior who died for your sin and rose again, and that you will not only just think about him or give lip service to him, but that you will yield your heart and, and, your, and your will to him and that you will put him on the throne of your life. That's what Easter is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas and Easter are like the bookends of the same story. Jesus was born to die. Why? Because we need saving. Because man is separated from God. Jesus went to the cross not so that we could give chocolate Easter eggs to one another. And who doesn't love cho chocolate Easter eggs? We all love them. But that's not what it's about. 
It's about a Savior who bled and died and rose again so that you might have eternal life. Do you have eternal life today? Have you believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or are you trusting in your own self-righteousness that that in the end will be enough? It's not. It is a free gift. Worship team, come on up and join me here. So in closing this morning, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that the simple message of Jesus would become a reality in your heart. And so would you pray this prayer if you've never, ever received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not just knowing about him, folks. It's about believing on him and receiving. Jesus, thank you that on this Easter we celebrate that you died for my sin and that you rose again. And I pray that you will come into my heart and in my life and you will forgive me of all my sin and you will make me your child. And I thank you, Lord, that everyone that turns to you in faith, even me, can be forgiven and given new life. And so I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? If you prayed that prayer today, you have just experienced the greatest thing that could ever happen to anybody, the greatest miracle. Your sins have been forgiven and you have come into the family of God. And if you need encouragement, if you need somebody to talk to, if you have questions, then you can go to Calvary Chapel, Kelowna, and there uh, you can email us. And anything that I can do to help you out in your new life, I will be glad to do. God bless you this Christmas. May the Lord encourage you. May the Lord lift up your hearts to rejoice today in the risen Savior. God bless you. And thank you for being online with us today. May you be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.